Hey everyone, welcome to another podcast for Flyover Labs. This is uh, Dave Cruz, and today our guest is Rand Fishkin, and in my opinion, he's a, a quite a legend online. He's the founder and currently Wizard of Moz, which is just a, a pretty brilliant title, Wizard of Moz. It just works on so many levels. <laughs> and and Mo, so Moz, what is Moz? Moz is a great platform with tools for SEO, content marketing, and analytics. And Rand started uh, what was then called SEO Moz, which is now called Moz, Moz uh, back in the 2004. So coming up on 12 years, if not already. So Rand, uh, we, thanks for coming on the show. We definitely appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me, Dave. <laughs> Great. And so the reason why I'm so pumped about having Rand is that uh, not only did he start and grow Moz, which is uh, very impressive, but he's also been very open online about really personal issues and, and business issues and, and, and what I almost call online leadership. Like people have really gravitated towards his writings and to his thoughts. And so I was very excited when he agreed to be on the show. Um, Cause it's not easy to, it takes guts to what I call almost bleed yourself online. Um, so let's get right into it. So first off, maybe we'll talk about a little bit about your background and Moz and a little bit SEO. This isn't going to be an SEO t- tutorial, um, but then we can dig into uh, more about kind of what what I said, uh, your online leadership. Um, so first, yeah. yeah. Sure. So first off, uh, um, yeah, what's your background and what led you to start SEO Moz back in 2004? Yeah, so I'd been... Uh doing web design and development um, and some usability work back in the early 2000s, uh, mostly for small local businesses in the Seattle area. And we were contracting, subcontracting uh, some SEO providers, but we were not very not very good at this whole uh, building the business thing and maintaining cash flow. <laughs> and so couldn't actually afford to pay them anymore for their services, but still needed to deliver this work for our clients. And so I took on this, uh, this role myself, kind of learning SEO and trying to practice it. And I found it to be really tough. You know, at that time, the world of SEO was even more opaque and secretive than it is today. You know, the search engines were incredibly tight-lipped about how things worked. Um, and there was just a, I had a tremendous amount of frustration uh, trying to learn the practice, trying to understand why certain things worked and didn't, um, trying to understand why certain websites seemed to do well and others didn't do well. And that, um, you know, that, that practice is what got me into wanting to start a website. Uh, and I started this, this blog called SEO Moz, which was sort of taken from the Mozilla Foundation and DMoz and Chef Moz, Matt Moz at the time, who were all around opening information, right? And so I thought, I want to open information around SEO. Um, and that, yeah, that turned out to be a blog that after a couple of years garnered a little bit of success. You know, I would say the the first couple of years I was blogging five nights a week, um, was not getting uh, was not getting a ton of traffic or attention, but I eventually got into this groove of it built a website that a lot of people were visiting. Uh, and then that actually transitioned into the business as more and more folks started coming to us for consulting after reading about SEO Moz online. Interesting. And, and um, what, what year was that when you started and were you blogging for two years? What was the time period? Yeah. So 2004 is when the blog officially started. I actually had been writing 
under a different site that that migrated over to SEO miles in 2003. But uh, the and yeah, probably by 2006 we were getting some substantive traffic. I think that's when we actually formally changed the name of the business uh, as well. That was maybe end of 05 or beginning of 06. Okay. And then in 2007, you know, we switched away from being a consulting company to a software and tools company. And um, I think a big part of that is because we, you know, we built some tools, we launched them, we had a little bit of success. And then our, our community, these folks who had been reading the blog uh, for months and years, started amplifying and sharing and using these tools and helping them spread. Um, that was a very powerful, very powerful thing to kind of build up a, a, a passionate community and then let them sort of take your product and run with it and evangelize it. Yeah. Powerful and difficult to uh, create that type of network. <laughs> I'm sure you spent a few a few hours, as you said, five, I mean, five blog posts a week for on and on. That's, that's impressive. That's what I, that's what it takes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it takes, you know, it takes years to get good at something, especially, um, especially in the world of content. Yeah. That's a good point. And you raised your first series A, was it in the, 2007? Yeah, the end of 2007, November that year, we raised around with uh, Ignition Partners. They had actually reached out to us. Hmm. Um, Michelle Goldberg from Ignition thought, you know, we had we were onto something, uh, and we had a few uh, coffees and lunches, and I sort of got excited about it. Um, that, I think that, you know, that was really good for the development of the business as well. It, yeah, you know, she helped us formalize a lot of things, get way better with our analytics and metrics and um, understanding how the business should work and building a board of directors and having quarterly board meetings, um, you know, setting kind of a cadence for the company, uh, getting getting good at all these things that we had to get good at, finance and compliance and regulations and, you know, um, hiring and management, training, onboarding, all this kind of stuff. Uh, it was, you know, it was great to have someone who had seen that at a lot of companies and could help us through it. And she was also very, you know, very empathetic, hmm. um, very thoughtful investor, uh, always really, really founder friendly. Um, and yeah, it's become a great relationship over the years. Interesting. So you already had some tools bit built before you raised that some money. Yeah. Yeah. We had, uh, probably about maybe six or 700 paying customers, I think, when Ignition oh, wow. invested. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but you have to remember, I mean, it was like 29 or $39 a month at that time. So Still, that's a, that didn't represent yeah. a ton of revenue, but yeah. But yeah. It's, right, it showed potential. Um, and, and so what did the platform, when you, you know, back in 2007 uh, with SEO Moz, how, how did that platform compare to what you have now at Moz? <laughs> Pretty much the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. We really haven't changed much. No, um, <laughs> no, it was, I would say, uh, if, if we were to do a comparison of TV shows, you know, if you've ever turned on the TV and seen like uh, the weird local broadcast where they just let anybody on the air, like with their guitar <laughs> okay. or whatever, it was, it was that, the, the, the local access cable versus, um, you know, an HBO show. <laughs> nice. I like Big that comparison. <laughs> yeah. All right. So a little better. Um, what's one example of like a tool that now that you have is really polished and friendly compared to maybe what it was not as friendly back in the day. 
Oh man, I mean, I put you on the spot. Let's see, I think we, <laughs> I think way back in the day, we had a tool called the Page Strength tool, and it would like go out and fetch data from, um, like the you know Google Toolbar Page Rank and like Alexa Score, and maybe something from Quantcast and. I can't even remember a few other sources. Maybe like it did a Yahoo link command lookup back when that was still a thing. And then it'd pull all these numbers together and calculate some, you know, score from zero to a hundred to show you how strong your page was. And yeah, that, uh, that, that was pretty amateur hour. Now we actually have an index where we crawl the web, um, you know, hundreds of millions of pages. Well, sorry, hundreds of billions of pages, uh, crawl the web, uh, index those, build our own version of PageRank because you know Google took away their PageRank toolbar a few years back. Uh, so we calculate our own graph metrics, including PageRank and, and our own version of TrustRank. We use some machine learning uh, against Google's rankings, uh, many many thousands of results to try and build a model that successfully, you know, uh, correlates well with how Google is ranking pages, and then we expose those scores. Uh, called Page Authority and Domain Authority through a tool called OpenSight Explorer. And it's massively more polished both <laughs> under the hood and, you know, on the front end. Yes, yeah, I guess you, your comparison stands well with that example. Just a bit <laughs> yeah, for yeah, sure. Just a bit different. Um, just a couple more questions on the business side. And uh, so you, you've raised quite a bit of money. I think it's about $29 million I saw. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you remember, what I'm always curious about is what – you know, how do you keep raise, raising um, follow-on rounds? You know, oh, and what I mean by that is, you know, were there certain milestones that essentially you had to hit in order to um, be able to go out and say, hey, we're doing well? Or did you were you talking to investors and like, hey, once you hit this many paid users, you know, call us up? Um, you know, was there, was there anything no, like that? No, I would say it was, yeah, it was much less formal than that. Okay. Um, much more of a situation where, you know, I tried to raise, I tried to raise rounds in 2009, 2010 and 2011 and uh, failed in all of those. I've written about that um, online. I think if you looked up, yeah. you know, failed venture capital <laughs> rounders on the, I'll, I'll come up for that. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, the second round we did wasn't until 2012. So five years later, uh, it was with Brad Feld and Foundry Group. And essentially, um, I had built a relationship with Brad through, uh, through my wife, Geraldine, who, who runs a travel blog that, um, Brad and his wife, Amy, had been reading. Uh, and I think Brad and Amy were big fans of Geraldine and we sort of built a relationship. And then I had reached out to him talking about, you know, um, starting the fundraising process again in 2012. And this was really just the thing where, you know, at board meetings we'd have, we'd identify like, hey, we know we're being held back from growth by, you know, lack of cash. And there's all these things that we want to do, but we can't do because we don't have the money. Um, and the, you know, the, the process for that was, you know, pitching a lot of investors and um, creating relationships and maintaining those dialogues over the years. Um, and I pissed off a lot of investors when I wrote about our failed processes, right? They really did not like being mentioned um, in blog posts and, uh, and Brad was sort of the opposite, right? He and he and Foundry were like, we love this transparency thing. Like we're super into that. That's awesome. We think it's cool that you're calling out these, 
you know, bad actors in the space. Um, in one case, we had we had actually signed a term sheet and uh, gone down the diligence path with an investor, and then they pulled out of the deal and funded not a competitor, but like a someone uh, in a, in our space oh. uh, a little bit. And that was a that's a nice free look know. for them. Yeah, that was a real shitty experience. Yeah. Um, and the um, you know. The founder group folks were just really different. Um, after one phone call, you know, seven days later, Brad invited me to, to come out to Denver, to Boulder, and we, we uh, visited with him. Uh, he took us out to dinner, sat us down to dinner, was like, you know what? We love you guys. We're in. We want to do this deal. Uh, <laughs> um, and we had deal terms settled by Sunday night. So, wow. you know, wow. it was... It was pretty amazing, pretty amazing working with them. And then we just raised another $10 million round with Foundry. That was an inside round. Okay. So, you know, Sarah, who's now our CEO, she had she just had a phone call with Brad, said, hey, here's what we're looking at. Brad said, you know what? Screw it. Don't even bother talking to people. Like, here's a here's a nice offer. Um, we thought it was a great offer, and so we, we took wow. it. Um, yeah. Yeah, Brett. I've never met Brad, but I think I read pretty much every blog post. Yeah, he's pretty, he's a good guy. Seems like um, he's a he's a great guy. Yeah. Um, and you know, he and he and everyone at Foundry. Uh, he actually just stepped off of our board. Foundry changes things up um, on occasion with their, you know, board of directors positions. And Seth uh, Levine from Foundry stepped on. And Seth, I've known Seth for a very long time. I actually pitched him once in 2009, huh. um, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, he's a great guy and, and just joined our board. So looking forward to having him out. Interesting. That's great. So let's uh, switch focus a little bit and talk a little bit more at your, your online, uh, I guess, openness and transparency. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways we could take this. But I, first off, I'm curious, when – do you remember – so you are blogging a lot. It sounds like a lot in, back in 2004, 2005. Uh, but when, when was the first post that you remember where, like, oh – should I really send this out to the world? Like, is this, uh, this might hurt some feelings or it might be too personal to me. Or do you remember when that was? I, not specifically. I do remember a few, uh, posts that I put up after conferences and events in the SEO world where some of the speakers and participants, um, that I mentioned were very upset that I had, uh, essentially, you know, exposed the things they were talking about. They were sort of like, hey, that happened at the conference, and I mentioned it there, but I, you know, did not intend it for public consumption. And, you know, some of it was like, here's a tactic that really works well, or here's a practice that I've been using, or here's a piece of data that, you know, that we've collected. Um, and I think over time, I got better about asking people for permission um, rather than just begging forgiveness after making a mistake. But yeah, transparency is always, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I think it, um, in my mind, it is a very, very powerful way to build uh, great communication between people. Um, it's the way I wish the world worked in every aspect. Uh, and it's something that I'm personally very passionate about. But I don't think, you know, even its most ardent supporters, myself included, would not argue that transparency doesn't have its downsides. I, I, you know, I mentioned, hey, I wrote about the venture capital process because I wanted other entrepreneurs who are going through that process to understand how it works and to have this 
uh, perspective and to know what they were in for and know the kinds of objections and challenges they might face, know what it was like walking into those rooms. Um, but at the same time, you know, I burned some bridges with investors and, you know, had some people who didn't want to talk to me after that. Um, and I, you know, uh, my contrarian self sort of goes, well, that's okay. I don't like you anyway, <laughs> right? You wouldn't be a good match for Moz. Um, I think that's, that's one of the other aspects of transparency that I do love. It's that if you are self-aware and you know who, you know, who you are and what kind of business you're trying to build or what kind of organization you're trying to craft, um, by being transparent, you attract people who are authentically interested in what you're doing and care about, you and like what you're up to, uh, and you turn off people who are not good matches. That's actually a wonderful thing, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't you don't want to find out six months into a, a professional relationship of any kind. You know what? We actually really don't like each other, and we don't believe the same things, and we don't share the same core values, and you know we don't prioritize things in the same way, and we don't like to work in similar styles and. Damn it! Now, now we're, you know, now we're up a creek. Yeah, no, I didn't think about that vetting process. That makes a lot of sense. You can uh, flesh people out even uh, quicker by doing that. That's interesting. Um, what uh, what made you so transparent, or is there something that what kind of what's prompted you to kind of push yourself out there and, as I said, let yourself bleed a little bit? And oh, and by the way, for the audience, I'll I'll put up some. Uh, links and uh, we don't have to you know it, we you know we're talking about the transparency so we won't get into every single article that ran is published but we'll, no that's no problem yeah, we'll put up some links so um yeah so cool we'll- yeah i think the thing that made me transparent um was actually that i i kind of grew up in an environment in an environment that was not very transparent where there's a lot of mm-hmm. you know don't tell your mom we did this don't tell your dad we did this um uh, and I, it just, I really, really hated it. Um, you know, it kind of drove me bananas and made me scared a lot as a kid and frustrated and angry and, um, you know, trying to keep lies straight. They, they were never big things. It was always little stuff that was like, don't tell your dad we didn't use a coupon. Don't tell your mom we went here. You know, like just dumb, silly stuff. Um, you know, tell the guy at the, uh, taking tickets that you're under 12, but I'm 13 dead. Well, tell them you're under 12 because we're going to pay the, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like, ah, geez. So, you know, that kind of stuff. I just hated that. I hated the, uh, even the little white lies I hated. And so I think that that, that's what made me, um, someone who's just very transparent. I, I, you know, I have to put myself out there. Um, it's almost like a defense mechanism. Like, Hey, you can't, you know, you can't impugn and malign and um, ascribe bad and evil things if all the details are already public, mm-hmm. right? There's no behind the scenes because the scenes are in front now. Definitely. And do do you think it uh, also frees you? You know, like once you get it out there, like it's off your chest a little bit, or does it? Yeah, there's a there's an element of catharsis for sure, um, and I've written about that a few times, yeah. right? That. That sort of sharing deep, frustrating um, emotional experiences for me, really hard ones, and and I've had plenty in my in my professional career. Um, that is uh, a way that I work through a problem, 
right? In a way that I take some of that um, emotion and frustration and angst away. Have you have you uh, regretted many uh, posts that you sent out saying, "Oh, shouldn't have sent that one," or is it? The, have you always? Yeah, yeah, I have actually. Um, in fact, uh, probably just a few years ago, I wrote a blog post um, that was very critical of the. Um, the growth hacking movement and the term growth hacking. And, um, you know, it was one of these like, Oh man, this is just marketing. Like, (laughs) well, why do they have to call it growth hacking? Why can't, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff. So, and the next day, I think I wrote a blog post saying, I really regret my post from last night. And the reason I regretted it is because it didn't do anything positive. Like it was just a complaint. It may be how I was feeling, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't thoughtful or empathetic. It was not, um, it wasn't truly transparent either because I think real transparency is recognizing, yeah, just cause you got pissed off about this, this term that's rising to prominence does not mean that it's not valuable for other people. And you didn't take the time you ran, didn't take the time to understand why did this term come about? Why is it valuable for others? How is it being used? How should you, you know, uh, think about the perspective of other people rather than just your own perspective. And, you know, that, so I think I've, I've tried to, even when I regret things that I've written, I've tried to be transparent about that too. Yeah. Well, it makes, yeah, it makes you think more, more deeply about topics too than the, for sure. Because you're, you are putting out into the public. So there's a, there's a couple of posts and I'll post these online, but there's one, couple of my favorites not that they're uh, super exciting but they're really interesting um you know but when you talked about i think it was 2014 we talked about things weren't going very well at um maz and you talked about your depression and stuff and uh so for me that was like you know this is really cool that you're putting this out there and so everyone should read it because i think everyone will learn something from it and they'll feel i mean you're a good writer you know you you put it out there and people well, can, can feel your, like, your emotion. And, um, but, uh, so before, like before that post, did, did you have reservations about putting that one out there and what was the response to that post? And, um, yeah. I would say it was, uh, almost universally positive, um, with maybe a couple of exceptions. And I think it was less, I didn't have reservations about the post. I just didn't have the, mental and emotional energy to write it. And I didn't have the, um, the perspective. Like, I think one of the things that, that depression does to you is it sort of traps you in this, you know, state of mind where you feel powerless to control your own thoughts and emotions and feelings and, and, um, to have the, uh, the intellectual structure that is necessary to write about something, you, you have to almost have a little bit of distance from it. Um, and, and that in this case is self distance, which is something I've been able to achieve over, you know, my career usually, but in this case, I really, I really just couldn't. And I think that's why it took so long. Um, and I, I had to write it only as I was coming out of it. Um, I had written an earlier post called uh, caught in the loop. And I think if you read that post, knowing, oh, Rand had depression, you can see it. Uh, you, you can feel it very strongly in that post. It's, it's in there. It's just not, it's just not fully self-aware yet. Huh. 
Um, Interesting. And that's a, yeah, I mean, look, mental issues and emotional issues like these are, um, these are tough things. They have a lot of stigma around them. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that people are hesitant to say that they have these issues. Um, It's certainly why, especially a lot of founders and CEOs who do have them sort of, you know, stuff them in a drawer and never talk about it uh, because they fear their employees, team, investors, you know, markets will run away. Um, it's very, it's very often perceived as weakness, which is, in my opinion, bullshit, right? Like, I, I don't, uh, um, I think that when, you know, when people are experiencing these things, um, it's our job as the rest of humanity to have sympathy and empathy and support not to go, well, that person clearly is not qualified to do their job anymore. So get rid of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and you, and I don't know if he's, you started first, but I mean, you and, and Brad also talks about his depression. I mean, you guys are just really open does, yeah. the conversation and like, I probably have changed uh, quite a few lives that, without even knowing it. Cause I mean, for one, like, the I mean, the reason, oh, go ahead. yeah, the reason I wrote mine is because he wrote his, okay, right. So okay. I think that, I think that mine was, you know, probably a good year, year and a half later, but I don't think I would have had the the courage and willingness and even recognition to put it out there if I hadn't read Brad's post. And I think that's why I felt that it was so important to write because he, you know, he showed that by writing about it, he could pave the way for me to feel better about my own transparency on this situation and I thought, hey, I need to do that for other people. I got to pay this forward. Hmm, interesting. And, and do you think the writing almost helps? Like you, you made one comment about how, you, which is interesting, you have to be almost distance yourself in order to write a post. And to me, that sounds very meditative, you know, kind of distance yourself from the what's going on. Um, do you think writing about it helps you deal with the, with the depression? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean... Um, I don't know about depression specifically, but I think in general, writing about something, especially writing when you know that lots of people are going to read it or when you're writing it for public consumption, um, like I said, you need to build these structures around it. And that requires you to have structured thought, which I think is just a healthy practice in general when considering, you know, big problems or issues that you or other people might be facing. Yeah, makes sense. And and we're almost out of time here, but I, but I'm curious, you know, how, how do you uh, work through, like when you have a depression, how do you kind of work through it all? Um, oh my God. <laughs> is, is, there, is, that, is that even possible or yeah? I don't, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Honestly. <Fair enough>. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's that, there's that famous uh, comic. I think it's by Ali Brosh and uh, where she writes about the, um, you know, the, character who's depressed in the comic finds a kernel of corn under the fridge after, you know, months and years of depression and starts laughing maniacally. (laughs) And, you know, it sort of like cracks the depression, but there's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no why a kernel of corn, why underneath the fridge, why that matters at all. No idea. But I think for a lot of people that rings true. And and certainly for me too, right. It was a Hmm. Uh, inex- unexplainable, you know, no particular process. It's just sometimes, you know, you have to wait for that thing uh, to break you out of it, man. 
I don't know. I don't know what it is or why it works that way. That's great. I mean, for anybody listening to this, you know, that's that's a. I think that'd be quite helpful. That response, you know, there's no perfect answer, which is perfect. Um, Yeah, there really is not. And one last question before uh, we end this. Well, maybe I want to bring up one other post, which is actually a current one. But uh, it was t- it, you were talking about it was a couple months ago, I think you were talking about uh, stepping down as CEO. Cause, so, of course, you were c- CEO until, was it 2000? Yeah, 2014, about mm-hmm. or so. Yeah. Yep. And so you decided to step down. And, uh, you know, this post was <laughs> about, uh, you know, how you felt about it. And somebody, I think you said in it that, Someone asked if you regret it, and you're like, "Yep." <laughs> um, so, how uh, you know how would you have done things differently before, um, you know, with so you one step down? You talk about it a little bit in the article, but just curious to get your thoughts on what we'd have done differently. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, I very, I very much wish I made different decisions around how we built software around here, um, you know, more iterative, more, um, more monitored building small things fast and then launching them, even if it was just internally and then building off that work rather than trying to do this huge big bang development. Um, I have a lot of regrets around the hands-off approach that I took to engineering. You know, I've sort of been, um, only mildly technical my whole whole career and that's I think really really hard my success but it also made me fearful of kind of engaging more deeply Mm. um, with engineering and that was I think a mistake as well Um, you know and then I think that the um, some of the artificial things that I did around you know trying to craft deadlines and, and having real drop dead dates and um pushing out a product that wasn't ready because I felt like it had been too long and we needed it. Um, you know, those are all artificially created problems that, uh, that I wish I could, I could take back. And I don't know which way cause and effect runs, but obviously, you know, I, I did have that, that with depression, um, around those same times, right. As we were in the few months before we were launching this product and then after for a year. And, um, you know, I think that, um, I wish I could have been in a healthier mental state too. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, you can't control that always. So, but, uh, I mean, I'm impressed that, uh, you're, you're actually still going strong at Moz, you know, despite some of your regrets, you know, you're, you're essentially the face and soul. Well, he's from the public perspective or my perspective <laughs> of Moz. So, uh, they're lucky to have you. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I think our, I think Sarah's doing a great job as, as CEO and, you know, she was a great COO for seven years before that. Um, so I expected no less, but, um, yeah, uh, I think, uh, I think Moss has a, has a strong future ahead of it as long as we can, um, execute and learn from our mistakes in the past. I think we'll be a better company for it. Definitely. All right. Well, we can keep going, but uh, I think that's that's it for today. So, see everyone. I, this is why I want to Rand on the the show. He's uh, pretty brilliant and uh, be able to talk about lots of different issues. Um, so, definitely appreciate it, you coming on the show today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks.